This is episode six of the Brick and Data podcast, a podcast dedicated to retail news, analytics, and tech. Coming up today, 3D printing hype. Amazon pop-up stores. Wearables for work. And more in this episode of Brick and Data. Hello, everyone. Today is Friday, September 16th, and welcome back to another episode of Brick and Data Podcast. My name is Todd Harris, and I'm joined by Jose Chan, as always. And we've got a few uh, cool topics to go through today, beginning with 3D printing. Now, we've all seen the 3D printing fad. I, I'm not going to call it a fad, but we've seen 3D printing arrive. Retailers and companies are taking taking a look at this in terms of, I guess, a couple of things that we've seen here. One, uh, one for more of a personalized come into the store and do it yourself type thing, which is in this case, Lowe's. We've talked a few times about Lowe's embracing technology in this way. And the other one is uh, more on the manufacturing side we've seen. So a, in this case, a shoe manufacturer using 3D printing um, in their own way. So yeah, I mean, this is this is kind of cool, I guess. I don't, I don't know really how this is going to um really change things for for us really as consumers you know if you think about it jose like there mm-hmm. whether you've got a company that's using it in the background to make something that's great that's good but we shouldn't really see the change right so the shoes should to us look the same you know maybe cooler designs and you know increased capabilities in terms of your ability to to pad our spine and things like that when we're running but as far as the the ability to make these over a 3D printer, to us, it's transparent, right? I mean, it's 3D printing. It takes place in the background. They do it, lowers their cost, maybe makes things a little more efficient for them. But for us, we don't really see it. But in the case of Lowe's here, it's totally different. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree. Look, it's, it's one of those things where I, I think we could put it under the general let's say, bucket of mass customization. Yeah. So if we take it into the retail slash apparel industry, mass customization overall uh, has been around for a while. A lot of companies, and let's go analog back in time just for context a little bit, have tried uh, mass customization, uh, which which really, what does this mean, at least in the apparel, uh, let's say, context? Mm-hmm. It means that you're going to, have products that are personalized and customized for each individual consumer. So for example, about 15 years ago, Levi's had jeans that a special, let's say, line of jeans that would be customized for both men and women, right? So you could put in, so in the case of, of, of uh, jeans for women, hip size, inseam, waist, shape, etc. But it didn't really take off, right? Uh, We're still in the model that we're in today, which is um, standard sizing, which obviously varies by manufacturer. Now, I think in the context of today, what we're saying um, overall is that this is now possible through the use of technology, which in this particular case happens to be 3D printing. Yeah. At least it's not just 3D printing your initials on a shirt or something like that, right? I mean, it's this this seems like more... um, the ability to customize in this way seems a little more impactful, right? If you think back, yes. um, maybe the only customization we've had in previous in previous years, like you were saying, was a you know a monogrammed shirt 
or in the case of maybe um oh, what's what's the bag company where you can uh Timbuktu. So Timbuktu yes. is great cuz I ordered a bag from them a few years ago. Was able to go in there and customize every part of it well, besides obviously the main design or the main, you know, uh, structure of it. We can go in there and, and choose whatever you want. I don't know how they fulfilled that. I highly doubt it was 3D printing or anything like that, but that there's something to be said, yes, about personalization. Yes. And that's this 3D printing. It's just one, you know, it's one avenue to get there. Right? Exactly. And to your point, Todd, it, let's, let's expand on that. We talked about a little bit about mass customization overall, yeah. contextually, right, in the old world. Then the second phase, if you think about it, would be just customization, which isn't necessarily tech-based like 3D printing. Right. But to your point, Timbuktu, you could also think of companies like Nike ID, which uh, allow you to create your own sneaker, right? Color, uh, width, size, sole, uh, style, etc. There must be, is, is there an in-store component to that? Because they must need some type of an imprint of your foot for that, right? No, no, no actually. Okay. Just the no, size. I, I, yes, so okay. actually... I'm a I'm a customer. All right. <laughs> so, oh, you've done this. <laughs> oh, yes. No wonder why. All right. All right. So enlighten us, Jose, please. <laughs> Tell us how this works. Well, I don't want to get too personal, but okay. <laughs> it, it, it um it, it's a they used to have kiosks in the main Nike stores where you could go and you'd have a specific sales associate that would help you through the process. But they've done away with that. Since I went back after two years to get a new pair of sneakers done, they said, look, just go online. You could do it online. As long as you know what your general size is and what you like, um, you could pretty much put together your sneaker, let's say, design uh, in parentheses or within, I don't know, seven minutes, right. if that long. Right. So you're able to pick if you go on the website, Nike ID, you pick the style, you pick your width, you pick the color of the Nike stripe, you pick the type of shoelace color. You could put your initials on the on the shoe, which are not obvious, which is kind of what you're saying, the, the old school way of doing it. You can change the color of your uh, the bottom piece of your shoe. Um, they have different names, and I don't recall. But you could look on the Nike ID, and it give you the ex will give you the exact sneaker uh, components. So I and wonder. I, I mean, they're they're not using three D printing. I'm assuming yet for this, but for, to keep costs down and to keep keep to keep things moving and not slow down their supply chain or slow down their manufacturing process, which generally means greater costs, you know, and um, a little more instability for them. So how do they avoid that? How do they avoid the problems that come with personalization like this for every single person where normally they would make a few sets, you know, make a few styles of shoes, 10, 20 styles of shoes, refresh them every year, make a whole bunch of sizes and ship them off. Off they go. That's nice and clean. Mm -hmm. Right. So how do they avoid yeah. tripping up and um, this, the complexities of being able to manufacture and fulfill these types of orders without something like 3D printing or without something that's quick and customizable that maybe doesn't cost, uh, add a lot of overhead for them? That's a really good question, right? I, my guess, we'd have to look at their 10K um, report yeah. and dig a little bit deeper, but this is probably a pretty small component of their business, right? It's more of a halo. It's kind of like, hey, 
look at these cool things you could do. But to your point, look, in, in terms of a viable business model, it's the old model of here are the styles, here are the sizes, you choose uh, whatever we've produced for you. Uh, because when it comes to the personalization component, it usually takes them uh, six, six to eight weeks from the time you submit your design uh-huh. to put in. Uh-huh. And I would imagine, Todd, so they have a limited amount of styles that you could customize. Right. So it's not, if you look on the website, they have a lot of different sneaker styles broken down by types of sports, running, active, uh, basketball, etc. But here it's a more limited selection. Not only is it limited, uh, but I would imagine it's like a car. Like once you have a certain base, yeah. uh, you could pretty much build around it. Right. So I, I would think when it gets into logistics and supply chain, not that different from a sneaker. I haven't seen the manufacturing plan, but the fact that it's six to eight weeks means that there, there is a little bit more work than usual to get your, your sneakers made. Right. Yeah. And I wonder if they actually use that. So when they get these orders for uh, customized sneakers, if they actually use that to impact their design choices or anything uh, for the following year or for the, fo- for the next set of shoes that come out, right? Say, okay, these guys... You know, it looks like they wanted, um, you know, 20% of people that uh, placed an order for customized shoes liked um, liked a really thick red sole on the bottom. You know, a lot of people wanted that. And we don't have that in our shoe designs for this year. So maybe we should just offer that next year as, you know, as a style. So I, I'm guessing they do that. It just seems to it makes sense to me. It's just kind of you know, sure. free intelligence. That's an excellent that point. That's an excellent point, right? So, so it's using a small segment of your customer base to pretty much crowdsource and inform right. your business. So if I were, let's say, the divisional head of Nike ID, that is exactly the way I'd position the division I'm in, right? Well, not only do we have a revenue side, uh, again, not knowing what the revenue is, but to your point, uh, we could provide valuable insights that inform uh, the merchandising, let's say, capacities of the whole company. Right. I mean, who needs a creative designer anymore, right? <laughs> I joke. Well, Banana Republic clearly does. I think Banana just hired someone new. But anyway, um, we talked about them in a previous episode. Um, yeah, I mean, this is great. If this 3D stuff is, is interesting. I don't know. It just, it seems like for, you know, for us, the home 3D printing is more of a fad, but I tell you, for manufacturers, in this case for shoes, it seems like it's a real viable option for them, you know? Yeah. So so to your point, look, just uh, going on what you just said, there was an article in the Times, right, that talked about a shoe company uh, called Feats. Feats Feats. spelled F, (laughs) right? I love it. I love it. F-E-E-T-Z. I love it. And they have a hundred humming 3D printers and their product is shoes Hmm. so they have printers named after different cartoon characters wonder woman Mm scooby-doo um and they make every shoe to order essentially so they they describe themselves so lucy beard the chief executive of the two-year-old company based in san diego um says we're the technologists coming in to help Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it takes them 12 hours to make a pair of shoes that is just, that is cool. I'm looking at, I'm looking at the picture now and, and we'll have to put this in the show notes. It's really neat. It's rows. Yeah. Rows of, of really pretty looking 3d printers, you know, they've got the glowy lights in them and everything. And you can see them doing their, 
doing their uh the bidding of 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 Miss Beard. So. Yes. And they're not let's say inexpensive, mm-hmm. but they're not exorbitantly uh priced. So uh on average it'll cost $199. Yeah. Uh for a pair of shoes which are made uh from recycled materials and uh they could be pretty much customized from an app on a smartphone and with snapshots of uh of feet of one's feet taken on a 3D model. Mm-hmm. Love it. So it's pr- pretty neat how this is occurring. Another company that does this is called United Nude. Uh this is not in this article, mm-hmm. but United Nude is a company that was created a few years ago by the nephew of the famed uh, designer Rem Koolhaas. Um uh he creates really cool high fashion shoes. So these are unlike Feets, uh you'd have to look at the prices. They're they're not quite the same, but they actually have a video online that shows you how they make uh the 3D printed shoes that then they sell to you. So they kind of use three you don't print them yourself, mm-hmm. but you you could choose how you want it made. They make it for you uh sometimes or you just purchase them as is in the store the way you were describing it mm-hmm. essentially uh as a from preset uh offerings that they have seasonally. But to see how it's made, it, it's pretty neat because you get intricacies. It's like filigree in jewelry, which is uh, very delicate beautiful open jewelry uh which is made and a lot of this let's say a lot of this can be applied to 3D printing which these are techniques that couldn't be let's say normally used in mass uh production yeah usually. definitely definitely a market for it and these and these printers they're using are not not cheap they're not the the kind we would buy for home use i mean it looks like they're several thousand dollars each so um they they're but that said they're they are potentially Depending on the efficiencies, they are cheaper than an employee, uh, possibly. Depending on the rolled up, you know, the rolled up costs uh, throughout the year, including maintenance and and things like that. Um, and of course, the the filaments that's required to actually to fill these printers, right? There's a certain amount of the filaments you have to you have to buy in order to keep these things creating. And I'm sure the quality of which they need to buy these is higher than the normal stuff we might use at home. So lots of hidden costs, I think, for these guys using this these printers, but. Um, in the case, yeah, like you mentioned, the jewelry and and also the shoes, um, it really it seems interesting to me to really even get to that next level of of designs too, and obviously customization. So neat stuff, man. I like it. I like it. Neat stuff. So let's let's move on to the to the next thing, Jose. We've got the, our second topic here is Amazon again. Um, they're they've announced this past week. I think earlier in the week, that they are actually executing on these retail pop-up stores. So not just retail stores like we've heard about months and months ago. Um, these are those pop-up stores that we find in malls. So we're just, you know, zipping through a mall and you see in the center, most of the time they are pop-up stores selling, you know, like phone cases or they're selling some new... Um, <laughs> some some <laughs> new uh new like uh, some wigs perhaps or some hats or something random like that you know honestly i don't think i've ever stopped at one uh, i usually walk by and, and and off you go there's like skincare stuff and it's never ending things however these pop-up stores 
look different. They don't, you know, they're not your your old pop-up store. Uh, like I just mentioned, they are actually real. Looks like real, real stores. You walk in, you have an experience. You get to get hands-on. You walk in because it's an actual four-wall type store setup, but the walls look like they're just glass of some sort. But it's it looks official. They it looks like they did a really nice job of this, and we'll have a link in the show notes to to show these, and maybe some people will actually see these and. San Francisco and some other places that are getting them right now. But this is great. I mean, this is a, a, a way that Amazon can get people uh, experiencing their technology, especially something like Echo, which is, you know, Amazon's kind of uh, voice assistant that um, many people have in their homes right now. But you can actually go there and, and experience Echo and understand, see how how it responds to you and how it actually uh, how it actually works rather than having to just read reviews or, you know, take a shot at it on your own, spend ninety nine dollars and uh, see if you like it or not. So there's that that they hope. I think that's the main intention here, Jose, is is the main intention is that they want people to come and experience these things, experience the Amazon technology. And um, they hope that that will will influence influence some extra growth for them. So cool stuff. Yes. Yeah, no, I I think it's awesome, right? So so they've opened in 12 states. Uh, They're projected to open more by the holiday season. What's... See, this is something that you and I have been saying for years now, mm-hmm. which is, is that retailers will worry once Amazon gets into the physical brick and mortar game, which this clearly shows yeah. <laughs> that they are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so not only is it brand loyalty, but there are a couple of issues. One is, you know, a lot of times consumers uh, will only buy certain things from Amazon. And so it's a natural for them to think of books and electronics. Sure. When it comes to other categories, uh, you know, we've talked about, um, let's say, their private label apparel. You wouldn't buy Amazon, uh, let's say, shirts necessarily for men, but you might wear it under a different brand if they sold it. Right. So like, so, you mean like Amazon Basics type stuff, right? Is that exactly. Like their, their kind of uh, white label brand, right? Yeah. Exactly. Private label. Exactly. So here, getting back to this particular uh, piece about their stores, look, they're gathering data to see what works and what doesn't work. And these pop-up shops, kind of like what you said uh, for the last segment, um, it, it, it's it's they're just gathering data. And this yeah. is a great way for them to understand their customer. What do they like? How do they purchase in the physical world. And if I were a retailer, this would really pretty much, uh, it's like a flare going up. Right. Warning. Right. Beware. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I, I do wonder how they will, will see, I wonder how this will play out for them. If it becomes, if it becomes like essentially what Amazon, I'm sorry, what Best Buy was for Amazon a few years ago, where it becomes this place where you go and you try before you buy. Uh, but it, honestly, for them, it doesn't matter where they buy, right? <laughs> but I wonder right. if the, the pattern they see will be that where people just say, "Oh, yeah, this looks cool," and then maybe they go home and they say, "You know what? I like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna place an order for it." I exactly. would guess that's gonna be bulk the bulk of what happens there, right? I highly I don't highly doubt, but I would guess that still the majority of people will go into one of these stores, they'll try things out, and then they'll say, "I like something," and they'll go home maybe a day or two later and place the order for it, right? Absolutely, which is that's the, the intention. Exactly. Yeah, that's the it, it's the omni-channel, right? So, uh, if we look at research reports from McKinsey or Bain or any other uh, consulting firm like this, right. the 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 more sales channels you have, 
uh, in the omnichannel, the higher the propensity of a customer to purchase from any one of those channels, right? Because you just make it convenient uh, for the customer, which is all about, at the end, the customer experience. Yeah. So let's do, let's talk through wearables here. The market for enterprise wearables. So that's, that's, you know, stuff on your wrist that you would wear doing your job. So if you're maybe um, in a warehouse stocking, uh, maybe you would get an alert on your phone that uh, something is out of place or something is, you know, something in your, in your row that you're in is out of stock or there's new replenishment for it or something like that. They could be even, you know, beacon located in a warehouse or, you know, in the case of healthcare, they could be used to track your patients, um, your patients' vitals or something for doctors to keep on their wrists for alerts related to um, vitals from a from a patient in a few rooms down. Things like this are becoming actually very useful for wearables and um, specifically to retail, though, they're using it again, kind of like the theme from the 3D printing Instead of just for fun, they're using it to do business better, right? Exactly. And so if you think about this, let's put wearables into the, just to give context again, in terms of the major categories, right? Just so we have a mental model. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're often divided into three categories uh, based on the different body parts on which they're worn. So for example, number one, the head. So if you think of the head, smart glasses, helmets, for example. Mm-hmm. Number two, the body uh, overall. So clothing, body cameras, etc. Yeah, body cameras. And number th- it's a, three. It's a big thing in Boston right now. With the police having to wear body cameras. <laughs> I, think, I think all over the country oh, yeah. now it's a big thing. Yeah. <laughs> and number three, the wrist. So for example, smart watches, activity trackers, right? So if we use this mental model of the head, the body, and wrist, it kind of gives us a nice, let's say, context for, for what, what we're talking about. And to your point, absolutely. It, it's been growing uh, in importance within the what they call the global enterprise side. Mm-hmm. This is something relatively new for them, I would think, in some cases, um, but maybe not in other cases, because I would think that the use of them in in kind of a warehouse setup, maybe um, maybe we don't think of wearables as a you know like a seven or eight inch size device on an arm, you know, on someone's arm. But those types of things have been around for a while, right? And that's technically wearable. So these 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 big old sure. things they they almost look like you know like label printers on your on your arm, um, bizarre looking. But hey, that that's a wearable. But I don't think they think I don't think they're referring to these things, are they? I mean, these this when they say global enterprise wearables and this market number that we have here, it says it's going to grow from you know 198 million in 2015 to 12.7 billion in 2021. So when they say global enterprise wearables, you're saying this is this is um, these are things that go on your head. These are things that go on your wrist. They they're newer technology, right? So it's using these newer these newer wearables, Android-based, even, you know, iOS-based wearables instead of the kind of the old school stuff, maybe even that, you know, UPS or FedEx folks use when they're uh, picking and packing type thing, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so th- this is, I guess, an evolution of that, right? Because to, to go along with those numbers, so they're thinking the number of units shipped for business use, right? Yeah. Will be, as you were describing earlier, 
uh, which is a nice anecdote, by the way, uh, will essentially grow from 2.3 million uh, to 66.4 million, a forecast mm -hmm. uh, by a firm called Tractica from 2015 to 2021, which goes with your that's insane. Uh, revenue projection. That's, that's an amazing. I mean, how does that? That's amazing. I mean, dying to know who's who's going to be using this i'm guessing this will be a widespread thing and that would just make sense that it's going to be used um think of larger facilities right someplace where it would it would you know initiate that kind of growth um yeah you know. yeah or or to, to let's illustrate a little, a little bit further so i'm gonna take a page from your um mm -hmm. book uh as you said earlier you described a, a business use case so another company that's in, let's say an early adopter of wearables for enterprise use would be Salesforce, right? We know Salesforce. Um, so they use smartwatches uh, to pretty much drive presentations, mm -hmm. or they also use it to have updates and such mm -hmm. uh, to, to their staff, which is pretty, pretty neat, right? Because you don't need, uh, everything is now pretty much digitized in a way where it's a one one stop shopping, if you will, within a device, which helps, right? Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. You, I mean, uh, I just, you know, I, I think of of how that's going to be used in across different industries, um, and I'm I'm trying to look at these as potential across industries to see which ones will catch in different industries, like these different. Um, in this article, again, we'll put it in the show notes, but there's, there's different use cases where, um, you know, like Caterpillar, they created their own, uh, smart band type thing to, to, to make sure that employees, um, are alert and, you know, they're not, uh, they're not too fatigued. I don't, you know, there's a whole privacy angle here, right. Of, of this stuff to see, you know, to see how this is invasive, um, how yes. invasive this does get. Um, and there's things like Microsoft HoloLens, which, which we've all heard about the VR stuff. And this actually blends very nicely into the VR angle because, um, the use cases may start to overlap a little bit. You know, we may start looking like, a, a Android looking creatures soon because we're going to have all these devices attached to us while we're trying to do our jobs, um, in a setting where we need that kind of data right away, whether it's a, you know, whether it's a modified helmet for, um, you know, maybe a mining company. You know, instead of just having a, mm -hmm. a helmet with a cam and light on it, maybe it'll have other things that monitor vitals, maybe other things that monitor air temp. I'm sure they do that already, but maybe not attached to each person to get that location-based, um, highly sensitive result. So there's, there's, yeah, there's plenty of ways here to, to see uh, to see how this is used. But I'm, I'm actually just more curious, obviously, considering this is all about retail, how retailers are gonna are gonna pick up on this, and and you know, outside of using it on a on a on a show floor, you know, or on, a, on the floor of a of a of an actual store, where, sure. you know, where are they going to use well, this stuff? Well, to, to, to answer your, your question, Todd, um, so there are certain things that could more, they're more, let's say, lend themselves better to work environments, right. like things you've just described, right. right? But if you think of it, given the context we, we gave at the beginning of this segment, um, look, for retailers, you have the smartwatch right or smart watches need not be any particular brand but you have a smart watch that they could sell uh you have a fitness band which could be enterprise or not or although google 
Glass stopped uh, manufacturing these in 2015, uh, there, there's been talk that there will be, let's say, uh, a new version that comes out, right? Mm-hmm. So I know we're talking about the global enterprise market for wearables, but for, for retailers, there's still a lot of things under these major, let's say, categories that they could sell sell to consumers because so there was this uh, PWC study that will be in the link for the show notes that was part of this study and they surveyed a thousand consumers in the US so the questions essentially were asking uh, what was a consumer's willingness to adopt technology if an institution paid for it versus their willingness to spend a hundred dollars for it right okay. so we know the answer to this without even having to do the, the survey, right? That, of course, if somebody else paid for it, they'd probably use it. Sure. But as long as it's not too invasive. Too, exactly. Too much of a burden. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But, but this, I mean, the other thing that we could take from this study, and I won't go into the, the numbers, we'll see in the show notes. Um, the other thing that we could take from this is that they probably would pay for it if it wasn't, let's say, offered at their let's say, place of work right. for work-related purposes. So there certainly is a market. So I think even though we're talking about the global enterprise market, this is still a market that's growing, like Fitbit. Fitbit could be used internally uh, for an organization, but it's very prevalent outside organizations with end consumers or things like this. Fitbit's just one brand, but you, you have many fitness bands that you can use. Yeah, that, may, that makes sense. It's we'll, we'll have to see what happens with that. <clears throat> and... Um... You know, if re- if retailers really use it in interesting ways outside of um, outside of things that that we've mentioned here, but you know, there's 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 ways that are more mission critical, I guess, to use these things, um, like the maybe the mining example, and there's ways that are kind of um, I would maybe call them um, almost employee morale improving in a way. You know, because they'll have sure. one of these things on, and immediately that kind of adds a little bit of, of of fun to the day. I would think, in some way, as long as, as long as like I said before, as long as it's not infringing in anything, as long as it's not monitoring things, we get all worked up over you know email privacy even. But this takes it to a whole new level. Does this invade? Is this too invasive? Is this something that um, for for employees of these enterprises that are adopting this stuff? Is this going to be a privacy a, a privacy problem? That's that's the part I'm. I'm wondering what you know how that how that actually comes out and if that impacts this this growth that we're that we're talking about here in terms of the the units that are going to be shipping. It's just really amazing, you know. It's amazing growth. I, going from two point three million to sixty six point four million. I don't, yeah, it's it's crazy. A real good question, um, Todd. The privacy issue, right? Because I think the privacy issue is a big issue, not only mm-hmm. within this uh, wearable. Let's say piece but overall in tech uh in general when when is it too much i mean that's just a macro issue that that we generally have to deal with there are ways of dealing with it but here because this particular enterprise wearable market is not uh let's say as mature as it could be or or will be for that fact there are still a lot of uh, looming questions that need to be addressed for it to as you say uh grow and show that Growth to 66.4 million by units shipped uh, by 2021. Yeah, there's it's more. It's more more data for them, and with you know with data with more data become you know comes higher risk of of privacy um, and invasiveness like that. That you know I think it's a 
think it's something that retailers are kind of working with right now, you know, as they're kind of getting a better grip on the data they already have and and grabbing other sources of data from um, uh, from from various devices, including these wearables from other things around stores and online. They're gripping with that. OK, how much is too much? And, you know, what do we really need here in order to make better decisions? And where does that line where is that line drawn between this data is okay to have, and this data is way too much. Uh, we don't need to know. Um, we don't need to know the exact behavior of this person in this in this certain way, but we do need to know, you know, maybe what they purchased before and what they don't like, that kind of stuff. So there's there's this balancing act, maybe that's going to be taking place, like it is across any industries with this. But we'll really have to see how this pans out. I think with um with with retail and all this all this new tech that they're that they're that they're grappling onto now. I mean, the 3D printers is just the you know, just the kind of back half of it, it seems. But these these other other things that are potentially like, you know, when you talk about Amazon, like we just did, um, people have natural concerns about what are they listening to? You know, what, remember the Samsung TV? I think it was that uh, a couple of years ago, Samsung Smart TV that was released and it ended up that there was a setting enabled that caused it to constantly listen to what you were saying and certain you know, certain words you would say would would trigger certain things, and there was worries that um, that perhaps they were being too invasive and listening to what what you're saying all the time. So, you know, with these kinds of things, I'm sure there's a certain group of people that have concerns about that, and and you know, that stuff will just spill over into the enterprise eventually, um, and be a concern for them. You know, this cool new tech has has unfortunately has has a um, has a darker side to it sometimes, right? Where they need to be careful with the data that they're pulling in and what they do with it. Sure. I think, look, for every everything that there's there's a balance, mm-hmm. there's the positive side and then there's the not so positive side. But at the end, as long as we find a balance within this and find a, a good middle ground, right, that we could all accept and are comfortable with, I, I, I think we're, we're fine, which is the way we usually, yeah. <laughs> I think, as human beings are, tend to resolve issues like this. And sometimes, you know what, the time horizon is takes is much longer than we'd like it to be for us to resolve issues like security, privacy, etc. Sure. But nevertheless, it's an ongoing dialogue, if you will. We get over it, you know, and maybe that's what's reflecting in some of these unit numbers for this, these wearables. You know, it takes a it takes a few years sometimes for us to adapt and to say, oh, <laughs> you know, that's okay, that's fine. You can you can um, you can watch me as I walk through your store. It's no problem, you know. You can you can zoom in on my face to see my reaction to something. I don't know. You know that 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 becomes less of an issue over time. I think we just get used to things like that, and and uh, that's what you know that's what retailers are looking for. And sure. um, or or not or, or right? not or, maybe or, right. And maybe that's right. Maybe they're maybe they really don't care about that stuff, and we're making it a bigger deal than it really is. Right. Exactly. <laughs> or the other possibility is that we do care. Yeah. But um, it's not really us, but the next generations. Ah. Yes. That, adopt it right yes. <laughs> so yes. it, it, it's always that which is you know this whole interesting concept about you know time horizons mm-hmm. so you wait you wait long enough you, you'll hit the market yes exactly <laughs> at some point it's gonna it's gonna click at some point exactly exactly well that that was fun that's the show um we will uh, have this up as usual on brickdatacast.com you can always email us at brickdatacast at gmail.com and you can find us on Twitter. We think we have a Facebook page at this point and a whole bunch of other places. So a quick search should get you there, but a good place to start is brickdatacast.com. And thank you for listening. Any questions, comments, feedback, you know the email. I just gave it to you. And until next time, hey, Jose, thanks, man. I appreciate it. And hope you have a good good weekend and 
everyone else too. We'll see you in episode seven next. Thanks, Todd. Bye, everybody.